0: This is Know It All, the ABCs of Education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education.
1: Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. We're on the air every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Of course, you can always listen to the show at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com forward slash all. That's where you can access the chat room during the show and follow Know It All for regular updates. I am your host, Alison R. Brown, president of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we create education equity plans and promote equity in education in compliance with federal civil rights law. Our website is alisonbrownconsulting.com. There, you can read our blog and subscribe to the ABC Know It All newsletter. If you're tweeting, follow me at Allison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtag Know It All ABC. I'm very happy to be joined today by Deborah Rothman. We're going to talk about the talk. Just a note to parents and adults who may be listening with or near young ears, our topic today may not be one you want your child to hear just yet, although Ms. Rothman might disagree. Deborah Mm -hmm. Rothman is a human sexuality educator. She is the author of several books about talking to kids about sex, including the recently released Talk to Me First, Everything You Need to Know to Become Your Kid's Go-To Person About Sex. Her website is sexandsensibility.net or find the book at talktomefirst.com, that's talk the number two, mefirst.com. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you so much for being on Know It All. Absolutely, my pleasure. So we are talking about the talk. <laughs> Why is it that, that that talk is so uncomfortable for parents and for
0: educators? Well, I think it's so interesting that we even refer to it as the talk. Uh, and Sometimes I hear people refer to it as the dreaded talk. <laughs> I, and we sort of act as if there's a body of knowledge that we keep in a little box. And when we think the child is ready, whatever that means to us, uh, then we, we decide that we're going to turn the contents of the box over to the child. Uh, and we don't really teach anything that way, do we? Where we, we hold on to information and then sort of spill the beans like it's some big secret or it's like there is no Santa Claus Uh, Everything else in children's lives, we teach in a spiral of learning, starting with very simple information and building around that in a spiral sort of formation so that children learn more and more sophisticated knowledge and they learn how to think in more sophisticated ways. Uh, And I really think we can trace this whole idea that you have to keep this knowledge guarded. You have to be afraid of it in some way to attitudes in our culture that are really uniquely American and actually go back centuries, generations. Uh, uh, And again, I I think of it as a sort of double standard that we have about uh, sexuality education that we we just don't have about other subjects. So I think, you know, the root of it is uh, there must be some anxiety going on that makes us want to tightly hold on to this information. Um, and uh, that's really the first place to start. I think is to, to look at what that anxiety is all about.
1: Hmm. So, what is what is your story? How did you find your way into sex education and around that anxiety?
0: Well, it's interesting. I you know I always say I grew up as a sexual illiterate. Uh, <laughs> I didn't read about it. I didn't talk to anybody hardly about it. The only thing uh, I knew was that. Uh, from the book Peyton Place, that one of my friends had sort of stolen from her older sister, and it was making the rounds in the neighborhood and we would all read it individually and then pass it on i know i when when I read it i I read it under the covers with a flashlight because mm-hmm. uh, i I had this idea I wasn't supposed to know about this subject, so i I had to hide it and uh the only formal education i had was you know the that that stereotypical film in the 5th grade about periods uh and i and also and even in college i think uh, that's the first time i ever saw the word masturbation in print but it was in my abnormal psychology textbook so i pretty much got into this field the only way people in uh, in around my age did which was totally by accident I needed a job, and Planned Parenthood of Maryland needed to hire a young educator, and they just hired me. And I had to uh, learn all the information that I had never learned, uh, so I spent a good deal of, deal of time reading and attending workshops. And, uh, and I, in order to get some of those words out of my mouth, I had to practice, like in front of the mirror with relatives, And finally what I got was, oh, they're just words and this is just information and there's nothing to be anxious about here except it's sort of irrational fears that we have that are totally misplaced. Mm -hmm. Children who grow up in families where sexuality is openly discussed in an ongoing way uh, as they grow up and can understand new and more complex information, Raise healthier kids, and which shouldn't, should not surprise us. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's um, it's interesting that you ha- you said you had this idea that you weren't supposed to know about sex. And about the, the topic of it And so you were hiding under the covers to read the book mm-hmm. um, And, you know, as with anything Children lose their innocence after a time And it seems when they're young Questions that really are about sex and sexuality To them are just like other questions And as they grow older Those questions become more apparent to them as sex questions and they can become embarrassed to ask those questions. And you know, right. my my kids my kids now hate to even see a romantic kiss on television, you know, right. and, and how do we how do we help kids to maintain that innocence and understand that they can and should ask those questions that for them may be easy to ask, even if difficult for
0: their loved adults to answer. Right. Well you know, I think also the language around sexuality is so fascinating you know, we connected it to this um, sense of childhood innocence. Uh, again, if you if you think about that, uh, there's a, a real emotional spin on that uh, that I'm not sure needs to be there at all. Uh, this is simply information, and children when when they're given this information, don't lose anything. you know, they gain knowledge. Uh, and I, I would like to talk to parents about, you know, what, is, what does that really mean, losing your childhood innocence? And I, I think about it for my own child. Uh, for, for my younger son, it, it was clearly when his grandmother suddenly died. You know, he, he was barely six, and he suddenly knew that the world, you know, wasn't this big, happy place that he thought it was. And for my older son, it was it was quite interesting. Um, it was when he learned about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So I think auto innocence is about thinking, yeah, you know, the world's a wonderful place and everybody's um, happy and caring, and then boom, we find out that that's not true, and that the world is not to be trusted in the ways mm-hmm. that maybe we trusted it as a child. Mhm.
1: hmm mm-hmm. And so maybe it is that they are. Losing their innocence around sex because they are picking up on these negative messages from um, from their adults and from mainstream media and elsewhere
2: um, that's an interesting
0: are, they're yeah. trained to stop they see it naturally something natural, something they're naturally curious about, and then they pick up that no i i'm not I'm not supposed to think about this, talk about this, ask about this and it, this has always been the case, but particularly in today's world if we don't or if we aren't overtly engaging children in these conversations when they are quite young then we are we almost guarantee that we're going to turn them over to the default options of popular culture, peers, mm-hmm. internet, all forms of media, advertisers, merchandisers, et cetera. And that's why the subtitle of the book is How How to Become Your Child's Go To Person. You we want to get there first mm-hmm. with the, about these issues so that they have our lens over their eyes and our voice in their head and everything else they see, hear, observe over here, etc., will be filtered through what we planted first.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what's so crucial.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I know th- I should mention that, you know, we also greatly misinterpret misunderstand young children's questions in particular mm-hmm. because we project onto children what we think they're asking or what are, we're afraid they might ask us, mm-hmm. and we miss the question. So, for example, when a four-year-old asks, where did I come from, it's not a question about sex or reproduction. They don't know anything about either of those things. Um, they're, not, they're just not interested. What they are interested in is place, mm-hmm. geography. I mean, that's what four year, because four-year-olds get suddenly. That they're separate from everything in the universe. Before that point, they close their eyes. They think everything is like vanishes. Mm-hmm. But therefore, they get it. I'm 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 separate. You're separate. You have a beginning and an end. I have a beginning and an end. Uh, now I've heard you say before I was born. Now I understand what that means. So the question is simply, hey, I I, re- I understand now that I wasn't always here. Where was I exactly before I was here?
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And that's purely and simply what the question is about, And the, the answer, if we can remember that these parts of us are just like all parts of us, and say, "Oh, well, babies grow inside their moms in a special place called the uterus, uh, very likely because they asked a question a where question, and you gave a where answer, they're done. And they're off to notice these new awarenesses they have around other things in life. So, again, if we can uh, calm ourselves and remember to look behind the child's eyes, their questions become very simple, straightforward, and so do the answers. Mm -hmm.
1: So what are some other developmental um, stages in the conversation that we should be having with our children as parents and educators um, about sex?
0: Well, again, with young children, it's not really about sex. When that, I mean, I think that's what stumps us and makes us anxious. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, I have to tell my young child about adult sex? I mean, and of course you don't. So when I've, they're not interested in that. What they are interested in is at age five, for example, it takes, often takes them a whole year to ask, you know, but how did I get out of there?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and what they're really asking about, again, is, is not sex or reproduction. To them, it's transportation, which is what they're already fascinated with
2: yes.
0: at age five. And at age six, because they're cause and effect thinkers, they get that everything in the world has a, has a cause. Every cause has an effect. And this opens up the whole wide world to them because they understand that the world is logical. And sooner or later they're going to say, well, gee, I must have had a beginning. How was I made? Where did I come from? In a very different sense. So that, yep, six-year-olds are absolutely ready uh, cognitively for uh, sperm, egg, and how sperm and egg come together. That's a six-year-old concept because it's about causation, uh, and you know we can just continue through the developmental years in terms of the kinds of things they're interested in and ask about. Uh, elementary school kids continue to be curious uh, when they uh, start when they approach um, you know, prepubescence, preadolescence. They start becoming interested in how bodies change and develop. So, and that's really the focus of what the conversation centers on. Mm-hmm. Uh, middle school kids are making the changeover gradually from uh, child to adolescent, and so that all, dealing with all of those new behaviors and new experiences that they're going to have during that stage as they become increasingly independent are the things that they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just keep moving up the developmental spectrum and if we if we sit, demonstrate to our kids that we are open and askable they will sort of take our hand and lead them in terms of mm-hmm. what they need and want to know
1: and you you know you mentioned that you in order to overcome you know the the anxiety around the language of sex and talking about sex, you had to practice and practice in front yeah. of a mirror practice with relatives. What are some of the most cringe-inducing terms or topics among parents and educators that they should be practicing in front of a mirror and with relatives? Well,
0: I think what stumps us, and this really goes back to the, our puritanical heritage in an interesting way, what mm-hmm. stumps us, because the Puritans were not really sex negative. They were not against sex. What they were against was public discussion of sex in any way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that 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 was really not something you were permitted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, especially if it was ex- something explicitly sexual. So what's Tends to be hard for parents and beginning teachers are simply the names for our body parts because they are explicit, and that's one of the reasons why we have all of these uh, crazy euphemisms for uh, sex and for body, sexual body parts, even for urination, etc. We you, I always joke about the fact that you know many families have the uh, number one, number two system we're talking about mm-hmm. urination and defecation mm-hmm. it, it's like they can't even bring themselves to say words they have to use numbers <laughs> and it's really a chuckle because we we don't call breathing number 16 <laughs> it, so we avoid being explicit so mm-hmm. any kind of sexual behavior is hard for us to talk about under many circumstances especially with young children um so you no know, I'll I'll tell you my my least and most favorite example of this. If you remember back to the Super Bowl halftime show, yeah. That all that attention with
1: with Janet Jackson and
0: yeah. and Justin uh, Timberlake, yeah. huh And the the costume malfunction. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: the real issue that that got CBS the biggest fine from the FCC in broadcast history was the fact that her nipple was exposed, or so people thought. Mm -hmm. I think it was actually covered with something. What they didn't pay attention to because it's, oh, my God, look at that. It's a nipple, oh, my God, was the fact that what was really unfolding in front of their eyes was a hand committing uh, a second or third degree sexual assault Mm-hmm. Right. As soon as mm-hmm. there's something explicitly sexual in front of us as Americans, we can't see the context around it. Mm-hmm. It freaks us out, and that's the Puritans. Mm-hmm. After all, who in life hasn't seen nipples? I mean, everybody mm-hmm. has seen them. <laughs> uh, right. But that's what they remember. And I ask people about that, you know. That's what they remember about it. The fact that this was... Um, a song, an entertainment routine seen by 60 million people across the world that included a sexual assault escaped the vast majority of people looking at it. Hmm. And if they were going to be fined for something, that's what they should have been fined for. Mm -hmm. So we have to get beyond this anxiety that we have about, that really the Puritans have given us about talking about sex in very direct ways because that's how we learn best, when when we can be direct. Mm -hmm. Uh, And see, what I learned is that, and this is what I share with my students all the time, is that nobody's born embarrassed about this subject. This is not like normal, natural embarrassment Mm -hmm. that nature programs in to make us be very aware of what we say and do in front of others. This is a learned association. And, you know, as we grow up and we see other people around us who feel, uh, who demonstrate embarrassment when these words are, are, are spoken, um, we sort of absorb that. Embarrassment is a very catchy kind of feeling. Mm. Uh, but if it's learned, it can be unlearned. And that's what I did. I, I unlearned it. I, I separated this topic Uh, from automatically feeling uncomfortable and embarrassed. And now, of course, I have to, I can say anything pretty much anywhere, and I have to be careful, like in restaurants and places like that. I'll be be talking along, and then I remember where I am and and see that people are looking at me. (laughs) To me, they're just words, and that's really all they are.
1: So we have a lot of educators who listen to the show how how can families and educators work together to ensure um, healthy sexuality in children, and, and how can they make that an
0: explicit goal? That's a wonderful question. Uh, one of the, one of the things we can do is, again, in being able to focus on things that are broader than mm-hmm. genitals and sexual behavior and pregnancy and all of that. Uh, oh. What we can see better is the fact that sexuality is part of your life. Your people are born with uh, sexual parts. Those parts are the first things that people notice about us, uh, and because they notice them, they pronounce our, our gender from the moment of at the moment of birth, and that becomes part of our development in many, many ways. So that you 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 said it just right. The purpose here is not teaching children about it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's nurturing healthy sexual and gender development. And families and schools are natural partners. Uh, In fact, as I like to say, they are de facto partners Mm -hmm. because families and schools are the two primary nurturing institutions in children's Mm -hmm. lives. And I always talk about the fact that children have five core needs, not just in relation to sexuality, but in relation to their development overall. Uh, and they, your children have them at home with you, and then they take them into school, and the school takes over and nurtures them around those needs and then sends them home and hands them back off to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that they're, we're all working around the same... Uh, child and adolescent needs uh, as we support them toward growing toward independence. It's just that we do it in different ways because families and schools are different kinds of institutions. So one of the fundamental needs is for information and knowledge. And what schools have are teachers and curriculum guides and materials uh, and groups of kids who can learn from and about each other. And what parents have are endless, more informal, teachable moments to pass on knowledge to their kids. But both of us are deeply involved in knowledge, providing knowledge. Uh, One of the other needs that children and adolescents have is for clear statements about values, including sexual values. Uh, And there are ways that schools can do that that parents cannot do, and there are ways that parents can do that uh, that schools can't do. So it's, it is, it is if we recognize that, you know, uh, not so much anymore, but the big debate used to be, you know, who should teach it, the family or the school? Mm-hmm. And that really misses the point, right, because it's about nurturing healthy development. So mm-hmm. there are many, many ways that we can support each other and hand off to each other our roles overlap around the same issues, but they are unique because of, we're different institutions and we just need to work out, okay, what, what do you do the best? What can we do the best? And how do we support each other? And so what are the other, the other core
1: needs that children have?
0: Okay, and, and for parents listening to this, this is very um, liberating because so many of us feel so overwhelmed by parenting, and it's really only about five things, the same five needs over and over again. Uh, Need number one is for affirmation, Mm -hmm. which is a number of things. It's unconditional love. It's uh, knowing who children are developmentally so that we don't expect too much or too little of them. It's, as I mentioned before, learning to look at the world through the child's eyes, because they don't see the world the way we do. Even teenagers don't see the world the way we do. And it's also acknowledging that, yeah, we are sexual and gendered human beings from birth on. So affirmation has many different components. So if we're not, the average school in America is uh, anywhere from three to uh, mm, up to seven, uh, seven years late in teaching basic benchmarks of information just about reproduction. So clearly we're not affirming who children are when we do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're making decisions based on our own needs. Uh, so then is information, then clarity about values. Limit setting, is, that is sacred. That is a sacred role that we need to play in children's lives. The limits that we put around our children's lives are, you know, it's our sacred duty to protect them, to make sure Mm -hmm. that they're not in a bigger world than they're fully capable of managing. And if you look at the number of parents who really quite thoughtlessly turn over Internet connections to very young children, Mm. uh, where children can go anywhere on the Internet, uh, there are no limits and boundaries. And, And also when you think about the fact that what gets communicated to children and adolescents about sexual behavior is that there are no limits.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And what a scary thought, thought that is. So both schools and families can be involved in making sure that children understand the power of sexual behavior and that with power comes the possibility of great good and great harm. And Those choices must be very, very careful. And the last one is uh, I, I call anticipatory guidance, which means as you move those brackets out, uh, when, you, when you decide that your child can manage a larger world, um, that you don't just set them loose. You, know, you walk them through the things that they could run into in any given situation so that, after all, they've never been there before. They can't anticipate what that will be like. So we sort of walk them through what could happen, what could happen if that happens, how would you feel, what could you do, what would you want to do, um, how can you be in touch with me at all times and give me a signal so that if you need an exit strategy, I'm I'm the one to call on. Mm-hmm. So those are the five core needs that children, when they come into the world, can't meet any of them on their own. And to me, parenting is synonymous with nurturing, which means that little by little by little by little, we, we, we meet their needs totally at first, but little by little, we turn them over to our children. And when they can meet those needs on their own, they have their own clear values, they, they know how to set their own limits, etc. they can get their own information, then they're adults and not before.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so we take them from zero you know, zero independence to near-total independence. And then we're done. And either we fire them or they fire us. <laughs> and they're on their own. So
1: how young is too young to talk to children about
0: adult sex? Well, uh, I think... Well, again, it depends on how you define the word sex. Uh, if I were... We're speaking to a young child about uh, sexual intercourse as the physical way that for most, preg- for most pregnancies, that's how that sperm and egg come together. That's really not about sex at all. It's about the joining of two parts that have to happen in order to create new life. And I would urge everyone to call that behavior sexual intercourse. Uh, the more we can stay away from definitions that are that are really about juxtaposition of body parts you know whenever we do that and give a body part definition of sexual behavior we take away its humanity mm-hmm. and we we not that we want to do this at all but we encourage uh, others and our children to think about it as really very in very technical terms so I would actually uh, I would say grade three because in the third grade, kids are sad. They they already know most of them that if you want to talk, you want answers about sexuality, you don't go to adults because they'll put you off or they'll you know, give you some kind of signal that they're that they won't be there for you. So you talk to mm-hmm. your peers, and there's a lot of information that gets spread around on third grade classrooms. I'm um, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, I wish it were in the classroom playgrounds, and mm-hmm. so. You know, here, you want to be your, your children's go-to person about what the heck does sex mean anyway. And here's, you know, it would be a gradual conversation, but I think adults need to own this and say, listen, you're, you're going to start noticing this word sex a lot and maybe even hearing it on the playground. And I want to tell you, I want you to get all that stuff from me. And this mm-hmm. is what sex is. Sex is a very special and unique form of human intimacy. You have to get that across first, which means Mm -hmm. they have to understand, and they already do understand about intimacy and closeness uh, because they've had that experience of being emotionally and physically intimate with their their caretakers and their parents and their grandparents and how wonderful that feels uh, to be in somebody's arms, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, to to feel safe and protected in that way. And that's what sex is about. It is about a, a human intimacy, and it's a, a way that grown-up people uh, engage in physical intimacy that causes their bodies to feel wonderful kinds of pleasure called sexual pleasure, and under the best of circumstances causes them to feel very, very close to each other. See that's that's the concept. Mhm. Uh, which we have to establish before we we ever even get to body parts. This is about human relating, it's about human uh intimacy. And as people get older, this is one of the ways that they enjoy being physically close to another person. And please notice that I, I haven't mentioned a body part, I haven't mentioned mm-hmm. a gender. Mhm. No. Uh, mhm. And, you know, gradually I would say, so what, what they do is they hug and kiss and they touch one another and they hold their bodies very close together in very unique ways that, as I said before, give their body wonderful feelings of pleasure, called sexual pleasure, and it causes them to feel very, very close to each other. Hmm. So that's the context. That, and, I, and I'm saying it that way because that's the context that I find most parents want their children to have about this behavior. They just may not know how to articulate it.
2: Mm-hmm. because
0: mm-hmm. All of our lives it's been defined in terms of body parts. That's right. So it, a parent listening to this show
1: goes to talk to their third grader and starts this <laughs> conversation... <laughs> And as is a natural human instinct, shuts down when a difficult moment comes up (laughs) or a a difficult question is posed or they have to say something that is uncomfortable for them.
0: How do Mm -hmm. you coach adults to keep talking past those moments? Well, you know, when I work with parent groups, which I do all the time, the, first th- the very first, I can't do anything with them until we look at our own anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's, you're going to be relating on top of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So what I, what I typically do is walk them through these questions that four-, five-, and six-year-olds ask. And just because we think they're about sex doesn't mean they're about sex. Because we have to look at the world through children's eyes. And really, so the four-year-old question is really about geography and the five-year-old question is really about transportation and the six-year-old question is really about causation. And talking to a, a six-year-old about how these body parts come together, uh, you know, it, it, it's just like Legos, you know. It's like puzzle pieces. That's the level that they're on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And when when adults really get a hold of that, that whatever they're afraid of is wholly made up. You know, we have this thing, well, don't tell them about it because they'll go out and do it, or don't tell them about it because this or that or the other. We're expressing irrational fears about this kind of knowledge. And what, what, what I wait for is for all of these parents to start laughing at themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they're empowered. Then they can go forward because they're not afraid anymore. You know, And when you're anxious, your brain shuts down. You can't think of things to say, <laughs> right? So of all the things there are to, in the world to be anxious about in relation to our children, knowledge from a caring, responsible, uh, knowledgeable adult is not even on the list. Hmm. And if we don't do that truly, we are abdicating and their primary reference points will be not the sources we want them to be.
1: Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to talk about teenagers. Um mm-hmm. you know we know the the frontal lobe in in teenagers brains is not fully developed yet. So while they mm-hmm. may look physically mature, they are still kids. How does that right manifest, how can that manifest in sexual behavior when adults haven't had those conversations and how do we ensure them the boundaries that they still very much need?
0: Well, this is, you know, this is why there are five needs and this mm-hmm. is why it's important, that, you know, the conversation and the discussion about facts and all of that is really important uh, and there are five needs and one of them is limit setting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, there was a in, in Washington D.C., there was a front-page cover story—oh, um, almost, almost. Uh, well, I guess more than 12 or 13 years ago—about this oral sex ring, quote unquote, that was happening among middle, uh, eighth graders. Hmm. Uh, and at least I think it was. It might have been seventh and eighth graders. Probably eighth graders. And I only, and everybody just sort of was totally shocked. It wasn't on their radar screen. They were like crazy, crazed over this. You know, when I was interviewed back then by a number of, you know, well-known interviewers, they, couldn't, they didn't even know what questions to ask. Hmm. It was really very, very interesting. Um, but I only had one thought when I heard about it. I said, "Where are the parents? Mm-hmm. If, chil- if, if children in that age group should never be socializing in groups that are where the, where the situation is not supervised. Parents mm-hmm. need to monitor their children's behavior. They need to know where they are. They need need to do know what adult is around. So you know, oftentimes kids have." parties at people's houses, and the parents think, well, I'm home, that's enough. No, they, they have to know that an adult face will show up periodically.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what tells kids that there's that there are limits. Um, and what parents also need to do is talk with kids about, okay, so sex is not intercourse. Um, we can engage in, for example, very passionate kissing with another, sexual kissing with another person or touching. So under what circumstances would that would some of those behaviors be okay for you and not okay for you? So what we have to do most of all is help them, well, first of all, say you must think about these decisions, and let's learn, let me help teach you how to go about thinking about those decisions. You know, that's, that's the anticipatory guidance piece. Mm-hmm. So without that, um, kids don't color too far outside the lines if they know that there are adults around who have set age-appropriate limits. They just don't because we forget that kids need and want limits. And one of the reasons you don't want them making these decisions in an unsupervised situation is because you're right. Uh, they, their reasoning only goes so far. If they have one really good reason for doing or not doing something, that's enough for them because their frontal Mm -hmm. lobe isn't developed yet. Uh, So just think about that for a moment. (laughs) And they're also going to pay attention to immediate risks rather than long-term risks. Mm -hmm. So they, they are not cognitively capable of operating independently in those kinds of situations. Uh, they're and not really when, they're not really totally able to think in those kind of sophisticated well not totally, but they they can only begin to think about those kinds of situations on their own independently until they're about sixteen
1: and when you when you add to that in the media and in pop culture that shows you know, that talks about sexting and teen pregnancy and STDs and, and other things. Teens receive regular messages that teenagers can and do have sex. So mm-hmm. how should educators and parents answer the questions from teens, if not now, when and how will I know that it's
0: right? Well, again, I think um, we have to stop thinking about sex as intercourse, you know. Mm-hmm. When am I ready to have my first kiss? When Mm -hmm. when am I ready to be touched or touch another person in a sexual way? When when we talk as if sex equals intercourse, we communicate Mm -hmm. the message. That's the only decision that's really important to think about. So that's why I was saying before, they have to learn how to think. They have to learn how to think through those two questions. Under what circumstances might be, it be okay for me to engage in that person, in, in that behavior with that person at this time? And under what circumstances would it be totally not in my or that other person's best interest to engage in that behavior? And this is a long process, uh, uh, behavior by behavior. Um, so a lot of the problem... Oh, and then, of course, you throw in some alcohol into the situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there goes any frontal lobe ability they have. So when it, the word ready is very interesting because mm-hmm. kids usually interpret that as emotional readiness. Mm-hmm. And readiness is in your head. It's not in your emotions. Readiness is the ability to think about what could happen, think about what the consequences, positive and negative, of that behavior might be, how I feel about those consequences. Can I prevent those consequences? Do I know how to do that? Um, And and you have to sort all that out before you ever get to, but is this something I feel emotionally ready for? Mm -hmm. And this is something I'm constantly... Harping on with kids that no, you don't just know you're ready in your gut, you have to know in your head, which means if you don't know what even what kinds of questions to think about in advance that, that then you're not ready.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So what is the most
1: dangerous thing to do as parents and educators in talking or not talking about sex? and sexual intercourse and healthy
0: sexuality to our children. Well, as I said before, you know, children and adolescents look, whether they roll their eyes or not, they Mm -hmm. are looking to us to be their guides. They need and want us. And they only go elsewhere when they don't feel we're there for them. And that's the truth. Mm -hmm. So that we have to do whatever it takes to get past that, and one of the ways is to simply tell our children, you know, there's some things that I really need for us to talk about as your parent, and to tell you the truth, I'm a, I'm a little nervous or maybe a lot nervous and uncomfortable talking about it, and we're going to do it. Not mm-hmm. but, but and we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And you can. They're just words. And, it, and, and also, when you acknowledge... Discomfort it usually fades hmm. as you if you try and um, talk over it. As I said before, uh, that doesn't work. So when par- I ask, often ask parents to raise their hands when if they're a little, at least a little bit uncomfortable, embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And for those that do, I say, boy, are you lucky. You're the lucky ones, and i would I would recommend that the rest of you get yourself uncomfortable and embarrassed because you're if you're uncomfortable, you're the ones who get to say that to your kids and teach them maybe the most important lesson of all is that you know your vocal cords really do work, even if you're feeling embarrassed. Those mm-hmm. two things can happen at the same time, and you could probably chew gum too <laughs> it, It's just a feeling, mhm. It also piques their interest if you say that. Yes. And it makes you human. (laughs) Yes. Right? And and that's what they want more than anything, for us to be real and human in our interactions with them. The other thing that will drive teenagers away is uh, parents who moralize to their kids. It's one thing to share your values, which is, in fact, I mean, that's crucial. It's another thing. To, to talk with teenagers in a way where they hear you saying, this is what you should do. Mm. Because teenagers are driven, just like toddlers are driven to toddle, teenagers are driven to think on their own. And what they hear you saying is, I don't have enough respect for you, so I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you what's right and wrong. Now, there's certain things we absolutely need to tell our children are right or wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But sexual decisions are things that people have to reason out for themselves. And our job is to enable, you know, when people teach, ask me, what do you teach? I say I teach critical thinking, because that's what all teachers teach. And that's what our kids need from parents and their teachers, is to learn how to think critically about these issues, which they are not going to get from the default option.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I have learned so much today, and sadly, we have run out of time. Uh. Deborah Rothman is a human sexuality expert and author of Talk to Me First Everything You Need to Know to Become Your Kids' Go To Person About Sex. For more information, go to her website at SexAndSensibility.net. Deborah, thank you so much for joining it's me here today.
0: Take good care.
1: Thank you. Audience, you are now officially certified know-it-alls about how to talk to your kids about sex. Remember to follow Know-it-All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at AllisonBrownConsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week.